Regard Italian, I think I've got a photo of him actually up here. Um, I'm not clicking through a minute here. There we are. Walter Bonatti. They, many consider him the greatest climber, mountain climber of all time. In 1954, when he was 24 years old, he was the youngest member of the Italian climbing team that became the first in the world to conquer K2, the second tallest mountain in the world after Everest. Wikipedia says K2 is known as the Savage Mountain due to the difficulty of the ascent and the second highest fertility rate among the 8,000ers for those who climb it. For every four people who have reached the summit, one has died trying. Mountaineer Reinhold Mesner told the Italian newspaper La Repubblica, Bonatti was just a boy from Bergamo who lived, who in a very few years became the best climber in the world and that he had been envied around the world because he was too ahead of the curve, too alone, too good. But when Bonatti died in 2011 at age 81, his New York Times obituary focused much of its attention on a controversy surrounding the 1954 conquest of K2 that dogged him for the rest of his life. Although two members of the Italian team reached the summit of the mountain, Bonatti himself did not. He and a porter were responsible to transport oxygen tanks to a camp at 26,000 feet where they were to meet the other climbers who were waiting for them. Then together, the entire team was to make the final one-day ascent to the top. However, when Bonatti and his porter arrived with the oxygen tanks at the agreed-upon location, no one was there. Bonatti and the porter had to spend the night camped in the open where they almost died from the cold. The next morning, leaving the oxygen tanks in the snow, they rushed back down the mountain and the porter lost fingers and toes to frostbite. A few hours after Bonatti and the porter had left the oxygen tanks in the snow, the other members of the Italian team appeared, took the tanks, and proceeded to the summit and to mountaineering glory. Later, Bonatti accused them of deliberately missing their planned meeting place on the mountain. The others denied it, and the Italian Alpine Club sided with them. From then on, Bonatti did much of his climbing alone rather than with deems. And for the next 50 for the next 50 years, the controversy over K2 lingered in the climbing community. Then in 2004, here, here's the key, uh, one of the Italian climbers who had reached the summit of the K2 essentially admitted in a book that Bonatti's version of the events was true. When Bonatti died in 2011 at age 81, his partner, Miss Rosella Bedesta, age 77, said, the K2 story was a big thorn in his heart. He could not believe that even after all those many years, nobody had apologized or acknowledged the truth. This falseness has left a mark in his life. In his own book, The Mountains of My Life, Walter Bonatti wrote, my disappointments came from people, not the mountains. Indeed, forgiving others can be more difficult than climbing the world's tallest mountain. Pretty powerful. And I want to talk today about the power of forgiveness, um, uh, the reality of forgiveness, the sufficiency of Christ in regards to forgiveness, and the power of forgiveness, because forgiveness is so incredibly powerful. But then we're going to move beyond that, really to see today that forgiveness is a gift. I want us to think today of forgiveness as a gift that God gives to us. He gives to the world. Even if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can enjoy the gift of forgiveness. And many understand its power and its value and it, the health benefits of forgiveness. We're going to see today as well, though, that forgiveness is a byproduct of the gospel. 
Forgiveness ultimately is a byproduct of the gospel. And we talk about it being a gift. It really is taken for granted because if we didn't have the word of God and we didn't have the son of God, we would not have forgiveness. The world would not know forgiveness. It is a biblical concept that comes from Christ and from the word of God. Now, when we think of forgiveness as a gift, it really is, and it's a gift from the Father to help us navigate the difficult relationships of life. And we all struggle in relationships and and forgiveness is something that helps us navigate that. We were created, number one, to be in a relationship with God. We were, number two, designed to be in relationships with each other. But the reality is because of sin, because of the fall, and because of our impending brokenness, all of our relationships really are in jeopardy in various ways. Our fellowship with God has been broken and our relationships with each other are oftentimes a struggle in this series we're talking about enough how christ is enough how christ is sufficient in every area of our life and today i want us to see the sufficiency of christ in regards to our relationships specifically in this issue of forgiveness what does forgiveness look like what does it look like in our relationships what does it look like as a gift from god his forgiveness is sufficient for every relationship we have and it is a byproduct of the gospel. Here's our big idea today. It's a real simple one, but I want you to catch this. The gospel can save any relationship. The gospel can save any relationship. In fact, maybe we should say it this way. The gospel can save any relationship. There is not a relationship that you do not have in your life that the gospel, if you choose to live it out, and we're called to live the gospel out, if you live it out, there's not one relationship in your life that cannot be saved by the gospel. And we're going to see that today as we walk through uh, some of these verses and texts today. Think about your life right now. Think about the various relationship struggles that you have. It could be a work relationship. It could be, for instance, uh, somebody in the neighborhood. Maybe you got a neighbor you don't get along with. It could be somebody in your own home. It could be a friend and you got a broken relationship with a lifelong friend or any kind of, it could be an enemy. We have relationships with enemies and we need to better those relationships and forgiveness can help us do just that. We will see today the gospel can save any absolutely any relationship and you know the word of god and a sermon does not get any more practical than that it doesn't and and probably all of us are sitting there thinking of that person in our life that oh boy do i need to think about forgiving them i even thought about that this week it made me stop and ask myself is there anybody in my life that i've you know buried in something in my heart that i don't even think about that i've never really forgiven so Two key passages today, and the first thing we want to do, the first thing is we want to define the gospel. Let's just briefly define the gospel. If forgiveness is a byproduct of the gospel, let's define what the gospel or the good news is. And uh, hopefully we can all do this, but we'll just walk through it quickly. We were created holy in God's image and in fellowship with God. That's how God created us in the Garden of Eden. Sin destroyed our holiness and our fellowship with God. And of course, it impacts all, as I said, all of our relationships are impacted by our brokenness and our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. He came down, forgave us on the cross, paid the price for uh, our sin, which was death. And then he offers us new life in Christ through the resurrection. And here's the key. We can acknowledge our sin and confess our faith and then receive redemption, forgiveness, and receive his very life. He forgave us at the cross, and then if I will just acknowledge my sin, 
I can receive his forgiveness. I can receive his redemption. I can receive his very life will come and indwell me, the Christ life. And so we go back to the big idea that the gospel can save any relationship. It saves my relationship with God, but then it can save any relationship that I have in my life if I choose to live out the gospel, okay? We need to live out the gospel and put the gospel into practice. I want to start in today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And that second one there, the gospel can save my relationship with, you know, it says anyone. But you can put a real name in there if you want on your notes. You can put down the name of somebody that you can think of that, boy, I need to work on that relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's a great passage. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation, a little simpler translation, just like the way it's worded here. Um, Here's what, here's what Paul says to us. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept the marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, and he quotes Isaiah 49, 8, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've heard that before, that phrase, today is the day of salvation. And we hear that phrase, today is the day of salvation. And we can hear that, and we can hear that God speaking to an unbeliever that maybe has been, been offered the grace, and, and we can hear him saying, today's the day to receive me, because you never know how many days you have. Today is the day to respond to the gospel and get saved, because you might not be here tomorrow. And we could hear it that way, and, and that's true, but the reality is here, God is not speaking to unbelievers, he's speaking to believers in this passage. He's speaking to you and me. He's saying, as God's partners, we beg you, don't receive the, the marvelous gift of God's kindness. Don't receive his grace. Don't receive the gospel and then ignore it. You know, we're, we're called to live the gospel out. And when he says today is the day of salvation, here's what, the way to understand that. Today's the day to live out the gospel. Put the gospel into practice. And how do I live out the gospel? Well, one way I live out the gospel is when I forgive the people around me. One way to give away God's grace is to forgive. If you want to give away God's grace, learn to forgive. So today we are to live out the gospel, we're to work out our salvation. Another way to say it, this is found in Philippians. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. Live out the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day to live out the gospel, and the reality is the gospel can save any relationship in your life. So, I got uh, three simple lessons today. Here's our, key, here's our key text going forward, and three simple lessons in here about forgiveness, okay? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Here's what Paul says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And there are three simple lessons we're going to see in those two verses today. And Here's the first lesson, God's lessons on forgiveness. Here's what you need to know if you're going to live forgiveness out in your life. If you're going to live out the gospel and get the health benefits of living out the, the gift of forgiveness. Number one, Christ takes the initiative in forgiveness. Christ takes the initiative in forgiveness. We see immediately that we are called to forgive and we're called to forgive in the same way 
that God forgives. And that's the reality. And one of the ways that we see how God forgave is that he took the initiative of forgiveness. He models forgiveness for us. We're doing this Sunday school class, Walking as Jesus Walked. The whole point of this study is that Jesus models for us how to do life. And one of the things that he models for us is this reality of forgiveness. We have a couple of books. If anybody still wants a book, you can just see me. We've got a couple extra books here. You can even just take it home and do it if you can't stay for Sunday school. Um, I got books for everybody that was in Sunday school last year, so there's uh, plenty of books. Um, So Jesus models for us this idea uh, of taking the initiative in forgiveness. What he does is, uh, though the relationship is broken, and even though it isn't his fault, he takes the initiative to forgive. What a powerful lesson for you and I, okay? not his fault but he takes the initiative to forgive um god took the initiative to restore our intimacy boy this thing is not cooperating today he took the initiative to restore our intimacy um and uh, that was really important to him it was important to him because our intimacy was broken and so God took the initiative to forgive us, went to the cross and forgave us. There's an interesting passage here in Matthew 6, uh, 14 and 15. I always like to comment on this because this is one of those verses you can read and you can get so confused about. It says, for if you forgive others, Jesus, Jesus just got done giving them the, the, the uh, Lord's Prayer and Jesus says to the disciples, for if you forgive others their trespasses, uh, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And you read that and you can say, okay, I I don't get that. Does that mean that if I have somebody I haven't forgiven, that God won't forgive me, that I can't go to heaven? I won't go to heaven if I didn't forgive somebody? Is that what that's saying? Well, not exactly. And the way you have to understand this is that this will really have its most literal application in the millennial kingdom. There's a time when Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth. He will, he will rule on the earth, sit on the throne, rule on this earth, physically be here, literally be on the earth. And that's when that verse really will be applied in its most literal fashion. But we know today, we're, it's very clear, the Bible's very clear today, I'm not saved by my works, but by Christ's work. I'm not saved by my forgiveness, but by the forgiveness of Christ. That's how I'm saved. You know, he does the forgiving, and that's how I'm saved. So if I haven't forgiven somebody, now, that doesn't mean I I won't go to heaven. One of the ways you can maybe understand this, and you can maybe get a practical application out of it, would be kind of like this, and this might be what it looks like in the millennial kingdom. Peter comes up to Jesus and says to, to, to Jesus, hey, let's hang out, because Jesus is literally on there. Let's hang out. And Jesus says, well, time out. Don't you, aren't you and Matthew having a fight? Aren't you upset with Matthew about something? And Peter's like, well, yeah. And he says, well, I'm not hanging out with you until you go make things right with Peter. Or until you make things right with Matthew. And and, and Peter's like, well, okay. And he goes. And that's kind of the application. The the sense here is that it's not our daily, it's, it's our daily intimacy, not our eternal destiny that's affected by our unwillingness to forgive. And so that could be the application in the millennial kingdom that their daily fellowship with the Lord will be cut off if they fail to forgive. For you and I today, this is even different for you and I today because it's different today than it will be in the millennial kingdom. Today I fight my flesh. Today Satan tempts me. Those things won't be, those things won't be the same in the millennial kingdom. And so today when I'm tempted, 
what, what really happens when I sin is it's not that God pulls away from me, it's that I pull away from God. If there's somebody I won't forgive, it's gonna make me distant from God, not God distant from me. When I sin and struggle, God doesn't say, well, I'm gonna pull away from you two, you get your act together. God pulls even closer to me to help me fight that battle. I'm often the one that is uncomfortable around God because there's sin in my life that I'm not dealing with. So, but an interesting passage there, and the reality is, is that God cares about our intimacy, and that's why he forgave us. He went to the cross and forgave us. Look at an amazing verse here. You think about God taking the initiative in forgiveness. Think about this verse. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know that verse is more significant than we probably ever even think about? What's this verse telling us? This verse is telling us that he forgave us before we even asked him to. In fact, while the very ones are driving the nails in his hands, while they're crucifying him, before they ever thought of asking for forgiveness, he says to the Father, Lord, I forgive them. That's taking the initiative in forgiveness. Think about that. That really is a a pretty amazing thing to stop and think about. In fact, there are some people who won't even ask him for forgiveness, but he forgave them. On his end, he forgave them. He puts into practice this verse in Romans 12, 18. I mentioned it before. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's what God says to you and me. Live at peace with everybody. Take the initiative to forgive everybody. Be at peace with them. And that's what Christ did at the cross. He made peace with the entire world. He made peace with the entire world. Another great passage, Romans 5. Listen to this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Did you catch that? When were we reconciled to God? When we asked for forgiveness? When we confessed our sin? When we were enemies of God? When we were driving the nails in his hands and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so he offers us, he takes the initiative, he forgives us before we even ask. When we were his enemies, before I even knew that I needed to be forgiven, he'd forgiven me. But now notice verse 11, there's another key thing here. He says we rejoice in, uh, in the fact that we have now received reconciliation. See, reconciliation has to be received. I have to then come back and say, oh Lord, I understand, I did wrong you. You are a holy God. I am a sinful man, I wronged you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. It's a gift, but I gotta receive it. And when I receive it, then I rejoice. I think it's just an amazing reality to think about and uh, how God took the initiative in our forgiveness. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, Christ, to reconcile what? To himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. On the cross, he made peace with everything and everyone. And now, the ball's in our court to do everything we can to live at peace. He, he did everything you could to live at peace with us. Now, the ball is in our court. And we have to receive his forgiveness. How beautiful that is, though. He takes this incredible initiative. 
And what does that say to you and me when it comes to my relationships? Is there anybody that needs forgiveness in my life that I have the right to withhold that forgiveness from? Is there anybody that I should not take the initiative to say, you wronged me, you hurt me, it still stings, but I forgive you. I forgive you. There should not be a person in our life that we withhold if we're gonna follow the example of, of Christ. It's that simple. I can, even forgive, I can even forgive someone who hasn't asked me to forgive them. And think about this, that verse there in Colossians 1.19. Jesus forgave all our sins at the cross, every single one. There is not one sin in your life that the blood of Christ on the cross cannot forgive. And I want you to think about that because here's the question. Can you think of a sin that you wouldn't forgive? I've heard people at work, we were talking at work and got to talking one time about all this sex trafficking and pedophilia and I, I heard somebody say at work, boy man, I tell you, if I met a pedophile, man, I'd just kill him, man. I'd never, man, you could see they would never forgive them. And I, I just want you to stop and think. That's how extreme God's forgiveness is. There's not a sin that God cannot forgive. And that's hard sometimes to wrap our head around. But that's the extremeness of God's forgiveness. Also, note this, that his forgiveness is final. Christ is on the cross forgiving us, and what does he say? It is finished. And I think there's a practical sense there that when he forgave us, it was finished. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. It doesn't mean you forget what was done to you. It doesn't mean you don't feel the pain, and you don't feel the sting of what was done to you, but forgiving is final. Forgiving is saying, okay, I forgive you. I am not gonna hold this against you anymore. I remember what you did to me, but I'm not gonna bring it up. I'm not gonna hold it against you, and I'm gonna set you free. That's the reality. On the cross, when Jesus forgave us and made peace, he said, it is finished, and he is not holding anything against us anymore. The choice is now ours to receive his forgiveness and to live out the gospel and share that forgiveness with others. Bottom line, the gospel can save any, absolutely any relationship because it takes, first and foremost, the initiative to forgive. Here's a second lesson this morning. Second lesson is this. For, unforgiveness was never an option for God. Just know that. That unforgiveness, when we wrong God and sin God, unforgiveness was never an option for God. Not for a second. God never even for a second considered that he wouldn't forgive us. If I'm gonna forgive like God forgave in Christ, I need to know that unforgiveness was never an option under no circumstances. Here's a, a few different angles to consider that, okay? First of all, how about this? That before God created us, he planned on forgiving us. Before God created us, he planned on forgiving us. His forgiveness was not an afterthought. It was not like, oh, I got a problem here. The people I created that were holy have wronged me and now we're out of fellowship and oh, what do I do? It's not a reaction. It was planned. He knew beforehand that he would forget, forgive us. Here's the passage. We read this at the opening of worship today. I love this. Mark, Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is, like, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over in transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Some translations say he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Some translations I said they say it says that God delights in mercy or God delights to show mercy. Now think about that. 
God delights in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. And God delights in that. That, that really, to me, you stop and think about how God, we deserve judgment and condemnation, and God doesn't give us that, and he's very happy to not give us that. He's very happy that he can give us mercy. And I think that verse should radically change our view of God. God doesn't forgive us reluctantly or because it's his only option. He forgives us because that's what sets Yahweh apart from all the other gods, albeit false gods, That's what sets him apart is that he delights in showing mercy. He likes to forgive, seriously? And I do. I think God likes to forgive. I do not think he likes to be wronged. God doesn't like to be wronged. No. But he likes to be able to forgive. He just delights in mercy. That's who he is. That's his character. How amazing. Now think about the truth of forgiveness never being an option for God. Where does forgiveness come through? It comes through, of course, we know this, it comes through the blood of Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Here's the thing, forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ and the gospel. The good news is we can be forgiven. The bad news is that we wronged a holy God and we have been separated in fellowship from the holy God and we can't go to heaven anymore. That's the bad news. The good news is Christ came and paid the price for our sin and allows us now to be back in a relationship with him and here's what you have to get. Before the bad news ever occurred, the good news was already planned. Before we ever did anything to wrong God, God already had the good news. Uh, you know, it was on his, uh, on his uh, agenda. He knew that he was gonna forgive us. You just have to get that. You just have to understand the weight of that. Before we wronged God, he had a plan to make things right. Before we were created, the Bible says the lamb was slain because unforgiveness was never an option for God. The thing is, the gospel can save any relationship but I need to enter any relationship ahead of time prepared knowing that this relationship is going to require some forgiveness and some forgiveness that might at times be costly. But our relationships are worth it. They were worth it to God. Think about that a minute. Because, okay, um, unforgiveness was never an option for God even though forgiveness can be costly. That's the reality. Forgiveness can be costly. Think about what forgiveness costs Jesus. Think about how it costs him some of his friends because he chose to forgive and go to the cross. His friends, most of his friends, disciples, deserted him and left him alone. The Bible says that uh, because he chose to forgive, he was mocked, he was misunderstood, and it cost him his reputation. We could say that his forgiveness cost him his will because he said, not my will, but your will be done. You can just think about the pain that it cost Christ, the physical, the emotional, the mental anguish, the spiritual pain that he took on because he chose to forgive us. Forgiveness is costly indeed. It, of course, ultimately cost him his life. But here's the deal. God looks at it and says the relationship was worth the cost. The gospel saves our relationship with God and it was worth the cost. And it's the same for you and me. The gospel can save any relationship we are involved in if we're willing to live out the gospel and we're willing to pay the cost. And sometimes it will cost us to forgive. Sometimes it will cost us our anger. Uh, It'll cost us our rights. I have the right to be 
angry or to get revenge. It could cost me sometimes financially. It can cost me in all kinds of interesting ways. It can cost me as I bear the sting of pain while I let the guilty go free. Forgiveness can cost us. But here's what you have to understand. Unforgiveness will always cost us more. Unforgiveness will always cost us more. Bearing the anger and the bitterness and seeking revenge and taking out our pain on the other person, it's never healthy. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand that there is actually a freedom in forgiveness. There is a freedom found in forgiveness. And one of the reasons why God just said unforgiveness is not an option is he loved us so much. He did not want to see you and I imprisoned in our sins for the rest of our life. And so he said, you know, unforgiveness is not an option. And he planned ahead of time on forgiving us for our sin, setting us free so we didn't have to live with the guilt and condemnation of our sin. Look at a couple of verses here with me. Galatians 6.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We were saved to live a, a life of freedom, to walk in the freedom and the fullness of Christ and who Christ is. And so we need to know that, that when we forgive, that sets us free, that helps me live in that freedom. God wants me to live in freedom, but I'm going to tell you, here's the cleat. I don't think I put it on. Maybe yeah, I did. We will only live in freedom when we live out the gospel. Think about that. We will only live in the freedom that God has planned for us when we are willing to live out the gospel, and sometimes that means forgiveness. Sometimes that simply means forgiveness, forgiving the people around me. We have to forgive and um, and unforgiveness will cost us our freedom. Back to our key text, Ephesians 4. Here's what it says, Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be, uh, put, be put away from you along with all malice. What we have here is we have our common flesh patterns in this verse. We have six different levels of anger, six different levels of sin, and each one kind of builds on the other, and sometimes we can talk about anger and go through those, but there, it's just, each one of these is just a, a different form, a different level of anger. It's our common flesh patterns, and these are the things that grow in our heart when forgiveness is not present. Now go to Hebrews chapter 12, and let's add these two passages together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let go of all that anger, that wrath, that malice, that clamor, that slander, that bitterness. Let it all go because they are just weights. And when you let that go and when you forgive, you can run freely for Christ. You can live the life he had intended for you. It's amazing. It's just amazing. That's the first thing. The second thing is when you are living your life and when you're struggling to forgive, if you ever struggle to let go of your bitterness and your anger and your wrath, what does this tell us to do? Well, it says look to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. As you struggle with your anger and your wrath and your common flesh patterns, as you struggle with sin and your need to forgive, just look to Christ. Think about how much he has forgiven you. Think about what he forgave at the cross. Think about the depth of his forgiveness. 
Unforgiveness was never an option for God. In the, going back to the Civil War, after a long night and a day of marching, Lee and the exhausted army of the Northern Virginia made camp just east of Apoximate Court on April 8. Lieutenant General Ulysses S. Grant had sent him a letter on the night of April 7. Following confrontations between their troops at Cumberland Church and uh, Farmville, uh, suggesting Lee surrender. The, so the southern general refused. Grant replied again, suggesting surrender to end the bloodshed. Lee responded, saying in part, I do not think the emergency has arisen to call for the surrender of this army, though he offered to meet Grant at 10 the next morning between picket lines to discuss a peaceful outcome. Having watched the battle through the field glasses, Lee then said, then there is nothing left for me to do but go and see General Grant. And I would rather die a thousand deaths but meeting General Grant at the McLean House, Lee said, we are pressed and are ready to surrender. What are your terms? Surprisingly, it wasn't judgment. It wasn't prison. It wasn't retribution. The terms were to stop fighting and to start living. Give up your weapons, go home, plant your fields. The soldiers who hadn't eaten in days were given meal rations, horses, and mules to plow fields. The war was over, but for many people, life had just begun. When we forgive, when reconciliation comes in and saves a relationship, we can just start living. We just stop fighting and start living in the fullness of what God has intended for us. Let me just add one little caveat here at the end here before I go to this last this last point, is that if someone won't forgive you, remember that Christ already has. If there is somebody that's holding bitterness and anger against you and they will not forgive you, maybe they don't want to save the relationship, maybe they want to hold this over you, whatever it is, you can't do anything about that. Just know that Christ has already forgiven you. And go and walk freely in the freedom of Christ's forgiveness. That's that's just what we can do. Are there consequences to our wrongs? Certainly there are consequences. But do people need to forgive us and let those things go? They certainly do. And if they won't, we know that Christ took the initiative and has already forgiven us. Okay, last lesson. Before I get to the last lesson, i got a simple question. Okay, God takes the initiative to forgive us, right? Unforgiveness was not an option, so how does God forgive us? How does God forgive us? Not a, not a trick question. What? Through Christ. That's right. That's exactly what the text says. The text tells us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is more powerful, more significant than we, there's so many things we read and we don't think the significance. What is this telling us? This tell, is telling us that when God came to forgiving you and me, that Christ did the work. And, and the lesson for you and me is simply this. Forgiveness is not my work, but it is the work of Christ in me. It is the work of Christ in me. Christ does the work of forgiveness. He did it for the Father, and he likewise does it for you and me. Again, forgiveness is Christ living out the gospel in me. That's what it is. Christ living out the gospel in me. Uh, Philippians 2, again, 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's Christ who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now think about it this way with me. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden real quick. We have the two trees here, right? We got the tree of our flesh, and we got the tree of our relationship with Christ, the tree of life. Now here's the question. Can somebody come over here at the tree of flesh and, and forgive? 
certainly. Someone can look, can look at their life and think, you know what? Uh, forgiveness is healthy. I need to let that stuff go. Bitterness eats me alive. It's like a cancer. And they can say, the right thing for me to do is to forgive. So you can forgive in your flesh. You certainly can. But forgiving over here, where Christ forgives through you, the, this brand, this breed of forgiveness is so much more powerful. And it's true, you can do a lot of things in your flesh that are healthy for you and make healthy choices and being forgiving certainly is one and you can find all kinds of people who don't really follow the scriptures or believe in God that will tell you all about forgiveness. They just don't understand that forgiveness came from God. It's a gift of God. But, but we can forgive more powerfully through Christ, through Christ working in us. Let me give you a couple of examples here, three examples, and here's the, the look at this text, I'm going to show you three things of how it looks like when Christ forgives through us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. First thing we have there is this idea of bearing with one another. Think about that. Bearing with. Is there anybody you have to bear with? Well, here's the first thing when Christ forgives that we get. We get this, what we could call an unlimited forgiveness. There's unlimited forgiveness in Christ. There, there, there is just no limits to the forgiveness. One time, Jesus was talking with the disciples, and they were talking about uh, forgiveness, and Peter asked a question. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I, did, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or seven times seven. That's a different translation I got uh, on there. But seven, it says 70 times seven. And it's not that we're to forgive, excuse me, people 490 times, or 77 times. It's, it's the idea that we forgive somebody an, an unlimited amount of times. As many times as they wrong you, we forgive them because the forgiveness of Christ is unlimiting. If I'm over at the tree of life, forgiving from my relationship in Christ, catch this, I can forgive anyone of anything at any time, any number of times. Forgiveness in my flesh will eventually test that. Eventually in my flesh, I'll get tired of forgiving. It's like, even if it's healthy, it's gonna be hard, but that's the reality. Now, a simple caveat to that, if you have a relationship, a, a friend, a coworker, if you have somebody in your relationship and you constantly have to forgive them, you know, there's nothing wrong with forgiving them and then moving on and saying, you know, I'm not forgiving you to save the relationship, I'm forgiving you because it's the right thing to do. But, you know, I'm gonna extricate myself from this relationship because it's not a healthy relationship. It's destructive for me. Nothing wrong with that. We can put up relational boundaries in our life. And so just know that. It, it, it gets a little more dicey maybe when you're married to the person. That's what makes it a little more difficult. But, but the reality is there is this unlimited forgiveness. Here's the second thing about forgiveness in the spirit of Christ. 
uh, going back to Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Notice this idea of mutual forgiveness. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And think about this. I think most of the time in our relationships, when we get into a a fight or an argument, and, and when forgiveness is needed, when we need to forgive to save the relationship, I would say most of the time, it's not a like, your spouse is 100% wrong and you're, a, you're 0% innocent, you know, or like something like that. You're 100% innocent. I think it's usually like about 50-50. Sometimes it might be 60-40 either way or 70-30. Yeah, I get it. But the reality is most of the time when we're in a fight or an argument and I need to say, will you forgive me? And you need to say, will you forgive me? And we need to forgive each other. It's a mutual forgiveness. And that's the reality that we can find in Christ. There's this, we're working together. There's this mutual sort of forgiveness. In a recent interview, Alan DeBottom, a famous British atheist said, I love the concept of original sin. The idea that we're all fundamentally broken and fundamentally incomplete. When asked why DeBottom DeBottom explained, because original sin seems to be such a useful starting point. Imagine a relationship in which two people think they're great, you know, perfect. That's going to lead to intolerance and terrible disappointment when they realize that they're not perfect. Whereas, imagine a relationship that begins under the idea that two people are quite broken and therefore they need forgiveness. When asked to define broken, he replied, by broken I mean not quite right. So that's what the concept of original sin seems so plausible and applicable and also kind. Because it basically says, look, when you meet someone new, just assume that something major has gone wrong here. Treat everybody you meet as though they were laboring under some really big problem. Basically, that's the starting point of any encounter. What an amazing perspective. And what a helpful starting point to go into any relationship and say, you're messed up and I'm messed up. And we both are going to need a lot of forgiveness in this relationship. And I'm going into that relationship very aware of that reality. So the forgiveness that flows from Christ is unlimited. It is mutual. And then lastly, consider this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And there's this idea here of a compassionate forgiveness. There's this idea of a forgiveness that flows out of a compassionate life. Think about those, uh, those, those traits there as fruits of the Spirit. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And just think about that. You want to be a more forgiving person. Be a more humble person. Be a more compassionate person. Develop these, these realities in your life. Be a more kind person. And if you develop those things, because see, the idea here is that, is that forgiveness just kind of flows out of a compassionate heart. It flows out like the atheist who just commented, said, when you go into the relationship and know this person has got a lot of issues, they're going to need a lot of forgiveness. Just like I do. And we have compassion for each other. And that's the, that's the kind of forgiveness that flows, not from the tree of the flesh, but it flows over here from the Christ life flowing through us. That's the reality. I'm reminded of, um, well, uh, I'll tell you that in, in a second, but um, just 
kind of bringing this in for a landing here. Just our big idea today is the gospel can save any relationship. Just know that. The gospel can save any relationship and any relationship is worth saving. I would say almost any relationship. There are maybe exceptions to that. But the gospel can save any relationships. And our three lessons today are simple. God takes the initiative in forgiveness. He's not the guilty party, but he takes the initiative to forgive. In fact, he forgives before we even ask him to. And then secondly, unforgiveness was never an option to God. Never absolutely at all an an option to God. He always intended to forgive us before he ever created us. Before the bad news was a reality, the good news was already on his radar. Think about that. Think about how amazing that is. And our relationship was worth the cost of forgiveness. It just was never an option. And then Finally, forgiveness is not our work, but it is the work of Christ in us. It is Christ living out the gospel in our lives every day. I'll leave you with one last little story here, simple little story. But a couple, they were fighting a lot. They were at odds a lot. They just couldn't seem to, just got into one of those seasons of life where they were fighting all the time. And so the wife had an idea. She said, you know what we should do? Here's what we'll do. We're each going to get a little fault box and we'll just every day write down one little fault. We, do, we don't have to fight with each other. We'll write down one little fault and we'll put them in the box every day and at the end of the month we'll swap boxes and we'll just see the things that we want the other person to maybe work on. Some of those things that maybe are issues in our relationship. And so they, uh, they built these, top, these, these fault boxes. At the end of the month, they slid the boxes across to each other and the wife was diligent in her approach and effort throughout the month and so the husband opens his fault box and it says, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on. And so she had compiled throughout the 30 days of the month, 30 things, you know, that were faults and she tried to express them in a loving way. And the wife then took out her fault box and she opened the fault box and every single paper said, I love you. I love you. Uh, forgiveness that flows from a compassionate heart, that's the forgiveness of God that, that will save, fight to save any relationship and it's more powerful than all the faults we can bring up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you model for us what forgiveness looks like so that we can go into our relationships and we can forgive. Help us this week. If there is anybody here that's got a relationship and it's just pressing now and and they're heavy on their mind, it's a heavy weight on them, Lord, help them know, yeah, it's not that hard to forgive when we let Christ forgive through us. Just just let us give these things to you and... uh, and live in the freedom of that forgiveness. Thank you so much. Bless our time of fellowship. Give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Very good.